Today's preaching passage comes to us from the book of Habakkuk, chapter three. This is going to be the last sermon in the series that Pastor Moody has been going through, a wonderful series on the book of Habakkuk. You might be wondering where the book of Habakkuk is. And if you are wondering that, you're not alone. Just go to the New Testament to Matthew, go back five books, and you'll find Habakkuk. So if you could stand wherever you are, stand for the reading of God's word. Yes, even you out there, yes, stand for the reading of God's word. This is the word of the Lord. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shigionath. O Lord, I have heard the report of you. In your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His splendor covers the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light, rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows, Selah. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and the moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bone. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. This is God's word. You may sit down. 
A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet. We've been looking at this uh, book of Habakkuk together, and now he comes to pray. And as he prays, he's led to rejoicing. It's a great reminder for us, those of us who are committed uh, to the scriptures, um, particularly those of us who are preachers or Bible study leaders or parents with your children, to not only be committed to the scriptures, but also committed to pray. It is a great responsibility for those who lead from the Bible to be people who also lead from their knees. What you are on your knees is what you, what you are, neither more nor less. And here's Habakkuk, he's a prophet, and yet here is his, is his prayer. And so prayer, as we shall see, leads uh, to rejoicing. We're told that it's uh, according to Shigianoth. Now, no one knows exactly what that word means, but it almost certainly has something to do with some kind of musical direction. We know this because of the way uh, this prayer is structured. So at the end of the, of the prayer, it says, to the choir master with stringed instruments, or literally, to the director on Neginoth. So this is, according to Shigenoth, on Neginoth. Some kind of musical set of directions. Uh, one scholar describes what, what he senses is probably the, 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 uh, the meaning behind these musical directions like this. It's, it's indicating a loud, passionate song with rapid changes of rhythm. A loud, passionate song with rapid changes of rhythm. So when, you, when we go through this, this prayer now, have that in your mind. Loud, passionate singing. And then strong rhythm and then sudden faster pace and then slower again. A loud, passionate song with rapid changes of rhythm. And so the, the prayer then begins in verse 2. He says, O Lord, I've heard the report of you. He's heard what God has said to him. If biblical ministry must always be combined with praying ministry, it is also true that prayer must always be combined with listening to God's word. When we go to a prayer meeting, we need to open the Bible. He's heard what God has said to him. And in particular, as we've seen in this book of Habakkuk, God has been talking to the, book, uh, to the prophet Habakkuk about justice. And he's described how real justice is defined not by society, not by what other people think is just, but it's defined by the very nature of who God is, divine justice. And that justice is coming at the hand of the Babylonians as they come and invade uh, Israel Judah, take God's people into captivity and deal with the Assyrian Empire. God is going to use all this for his justice. And we've been told that the righteous will live by faith, by their committed loyalty to God. And Habakkuk's heard this, and I trust you've heard it too. There is a divine justice. We're committed to that. Not just society's standards of justice but God's standards of justice. And the righteous will live by faith, commitment to God, loyalty to God. That's what he's heard. 
And because of that, he says, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. We often think of God as our friend these days. And that's, that's a biblical idea. Uh, we're told that uh, Abraham was a friend of God. Uh, Jesus said to his disciples, no longer do I call you servants, I call you friends. Yeah, we have a friendship with God if we've put our trust in Jesus. We have that relational intimacy with God. But there's another side to the biblical picture too. The fear of God. And uh, that we have very much forgotten these days, haven't we? That God is a great and awesome God. Not to be played with, not trivial, but the creator of the whole universe, holy, majestic, a God of justice. And therefore Habakkuk stands in fear of him. Now comes his prayer. This is the heart of his prayer. The second half of verse two. In the midst of the years, revive it. That's revive God's work. In the midst of the years, make it known. Let's make God's work known. In wrath, in this justice, remember mercy, Lord. So what God is praying, what Habakkuk is praying here to God is that in the midst of all this justice, God would remember mercy and he would revive his work again. That's a prayer we can pray, isn't it, these days? With all that's going on in society, with all that's going on in our world these days. In the midst of these years, God, send revival. Revive your work again. It's a prayer that God's people can always pray. We live in the now and not yet. We live after Jesus has come and died and rose again but before he returns in the midst of these years oh Lord revive revive your work wake up your people send your spirit oh Lord and this, this prayer is to loud passionate sing with a rapid change of rhythm oh Lord revive your work That's the heart of his prayer here throughout this this passage. And then from verse 3 through right the way really to verse 16, Habakkuk gives uh, the reason for his confidence in praying for this. His rationale, the foundation of why he is sure he can ask God to revive his work. And the reason is basically, essentially what Habakkuk is saying is he, God has rescued his people before. Habakkuk looks back to what God did when he took his people out of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land. And he says to God, God, you did this in the past. Now do it again. You're the same God. Revive your work. You did this in the past. Now do it again. And he's loud, passionate, singing with rapid changes of rhythm. You did it in the past. Now do it again. And so he tells that story, but he tells it not chronologically, not, you know, this happened and then this happened and this happened. What he does, he picks out the most dramatic moments in this story and then arranges them 
thematically, by theme, rather than by chronology, by this and then this and this, this and then this and sequence of time. What's most dramatic? And by theme. So verse 3, he begins with the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. When he says, God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. Mount Paran was the region around Mount Sinai. You can see Moses refers to it this way in Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 2. Habakkuk here is, is thinking of how God came at Mount Sinai. He's thinking of justice, remember? God has described him that justice is according to God's character and God's understanding, not the understanding of society. God's understanding, not what the social moment around us says is just, but what the divine being says is just. And so he goes to Mount Sinai when the law was given, when what is right and wrong was declared. God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran at Mount Sinai. And then he says, Salah. <laughs> Salah is a musical uh, description that's put in the Psalms and here. And some people think it's written after the original. Some people, it's the time of the original. But we don't know exactly what that word Salah means. In its, in its origin, it has some idea of lift or raise. So perhaps it's the repetition of the chorus. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. That's the chorus. Or, or it could be a lift in the music. Lift! This loud, passionate song. Lift! And then he uh, describes what, it was, what, what that Mount Sinai happened there, what was like when the law was given. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand. That word rays there is literally horns, and it could be referring to the, the, two, uh, the two tablets of the Ten Commandments that God gave from his hands, written by the finger of God. The law came from his hands. The, the horns, the power, the justice of God came from his hands at Mount Sinai. Bright flashing light, this justice of God's. And then... Uh, he moves to the, uh, again, not chronologically, but thematically, he moves to, well, because God is a God of justice, he's also a God who redeems. In wrath, remember mercy, Lord. Remember how you did it in the past. And so from verses five and onwards, he's thinking of the rescue from Egypt, the pestilence, verse five, the plague, the, the plague that, the, that God brought upon those who, who didn't listen to his word in, in, in Egypt and rescued God's people. And he stood and measured the earth, uh, verse six. He looked and shook the nations. God is the God of all nations, and the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. In other words, it seemed impossible that the mountain of Egypt's power could ever, ever be changed. Surely that's everlasting. No. God is the everlasting. His ways are everlasting. 
And then uh, from verse 7, he begins to move to the, the entrance to the promised land. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Some people think that Cushan and Midian is referring to the time of judges, or the judge of Othniel uh, in Cushan and, and Gideon in Midian. That's possible. But given the context here, I think probably it's referring to these surrounding nations and tribes who trembled when God's people entered the promised land. Because then verse 8, he then talks about, was your wrath against the rivers, the, the parting of the Red Sea, the crossing of the Jordan? Was, 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 was it about the rivers? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses or your chariot of salvation? This, this pictorial language of God being the one who saved his people. Oh Lord, in the midst of your years, in the midst of these years, revive your work again. You did it, you did it in the past. Now do it again. And then uh, verse 9, very uncomfortably for for modern readers, he describes God as a God of, of, a warrior God, working out his salvation. Verse 9, you stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. So uh, bows were kept in a protected garment to, to, to keep them in their pristine condition so they could be used. You take off the bow, you call for lots of arrows so you got them ready. It's, it's, a, it's a bit like saying you, you, you've taken the, the safety catch off your machine gun and you've called for lots of ammo. He's a warrior God. He's a God of justice. There is, he's a God to be feared. And in wrath, Lord, remember mercy for those who put their faith in you, for those who trust you. Remember mercy. This evil, this devastation of these peoples that, 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 that in that promised land of the time that were cast out of the promised land, these peoples who performed child sacrifice and other disgusting evil acts. God was a God of justice. He's also a God of mercy. Oh Lord, and again, in these days, remember mercy. In these days, would you revive your work? He split the earth with the rivers, verse nine. The mountains saw you and writhed. Even a 14,000 footer in Colorado writhes at the power of God and his salvation. The raging water swept on the deep Gave forth its voice, it lifted its hands on high. This whole drama of the entrance into the promised land. Verse 11, again, he's picking out the most dramatic moments in the story. Verse 11, he's referring to the moment when uh, Joshua, the, the leader of God's people, after Moses, Joshua asked God to cause the sun to stand still so that Joshua could finish the battle that they were in at the time. And God answered that, that prayer. And he's referring to this now. The sun and moon stood still in their place. Now, I, I don't understand that. From all modern cosmological conceptions of the universe, the idea of the sun standing still and the day going longer than 24 hours is, is, is something inconceivable. But there are more things in heaven and earth earth than I can possibly understand. 
And just 40, 50, 60 years ago, the, the sheer scale of the universe was not conceived. Now we know there are many different galaxies. And, and scientists now are exploring ideas of string theory and trying to figure out how quantum mechanics connects to Einstein's theory of relativity. There are more things in heaven and earth than our minds can yet conceive. And though I cannot naturally understand it, I believe in a God of almighty power who created the universe and sustains it by his word, and if he says it, it is. And Habakkuk remembers that. Oh God, you can do it. If, if, if our God is the God who can make the day go longer than 24 hours when he wants to, oh Lord, in the midst of our years, revive your work in wrath Remember mercy. He marched through the earth in fury. He threshed the nations in anger. Yeah, he's a God of justice. But remember mercy, Lord. You went out for the salvation of your people. Those, the righteous shall live by faith. Those who have put their trust in him. For the salvation of your anointed. Here he's, I think, referring to Joshua, the leader of God's people, the anointed at the time. And anointed means in Greek, it's, in Greek is Christ, the Christ. And Joshua in Greek is Jesus. And as we look at the Old Testament in the light of the fullness of God's salvation plan as completed in another Joshua, another G, the, the, the real Joshua, the Jesus who came, the anointed one, capital T, capital A, the anointed one, Jesus the Christ, he's the one through whom salvation comes and faith in him. And so he remembers this. This is where he gets his confidence from. And we in the New Testament look back to Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection at the cross where justice and mercy met, where God's wrath was fully atoned for. And so, God, in these days, remember mercy and revive your work. And he, he, you pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me. He's now, he's now thinking of the danger that he is in when, 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 it will, when these Babylonians will come. What's going to happen to me? And that rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret, the poor the vulnerable will always be most under threat at these times, but no God. God is the God who parted the waters, who rescued God's people from Egypt, who brought them into the promised land. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. And so verse 18, I hear, going back to verse 2, O oh Lord, I've heard the report of you. Verse 16, I hear God's word inspires the prayer. I hear who you are. I hear what you've done when rescuing God's people from Egypt, when rescuing God's people at the cross through Jesus the Christ, the anointed one. I hear. And the response of truly hearing, my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. He's almost... Shaking as he speaks God's word. 
rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. He can hardly, he can hardly stand up. And when God's power comes upon you in a new and fresh way, it affects the whole of you. Soul, body, the power of God. He's trembling beneath the power of God. And then he says, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. God is a God of justice. He will bring about the right in the end. And therefore he will trust God for the righteous shall live by faith. That's his prayer. And the prayer leads to rejoicing. Fix it in your mind, these six words. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. Having prayed, he now rejoices. So verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom. These are all harvests in this agrarian, traditional society. You couldn't just go to the grocery store and get more figs. If there's no, though, the, though there are no figs, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, no grapes, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold. No sheep, no cattle, no, there'll be no herd, no cattle in the stalls. But this is the worst possible results of invasion and calamity and the breakdown of society. Though that should happen, yet I will rejoice. How? Because Christian joy is the sweet, inward frame of spirit that graciously submits to God's fatherly disposal in every condition. Yet I will rejoice how? In the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. The deer, as they race around the mountains and the hills, are so sure-footed they don't stumble. He's not stumbling. He's strong now. He's stable. He makes me tread on my high places. That is in joy. To the choir master, literally, to the director with stringed instruments on Neganoth. This loud, passionate song with rapid changes of rhythm. Prayer leading to joy. 
Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. Rejoicing. You know, it's been quite the week at Cottage Church. Just this week, one of our steeples was blown over by a tornado that touched down just across the street. It's just been remarkable seeing the way that the community, God's people, gathered together and cheerfully helped. Just so many of you done such an extraordinary uh, amount of work to just get things back on track. That, that uh, steeple, I'm told, was dedicated to a former pastor of Cottage Church, a man that some of you will know, uh, Evan Welsh. He's now, of course, gone to be with the Lord. I've heard many stories about him. One I was told, and I, I, these are just stories I've been told, so whether they're apocryphal or, or true, perhaps you, can, you would know perhaps better than I would, some of you anyway. One story I'm told about Evan Welsh is that before he went to sleep each night, he'd get up and walk around his neighborhood and stop before each of the houses around his neighborhood and pray for those in the house. Worry about nothing, pray about everything. I'm told that he was very deliberate in his personal evangelism, that he had particular people who haven't been in the church for many, many years, perhaps never in their whole life, and yet he, he loved them, he cared for them, he reached out to them. One now very famous preacher who, when he was an undergraduate, went to Wheaton College. Evan Welsh was a pastor here and then afterwards a chaplain at Wheaton College. When this now very famous pastor went to Wheaton College, he told me personally, he said that uh, when he was there, he had no desire to preach at all, none. And Evan Welsh came up to him and looked him in the eye and said, I want you to give me one sermon. I want you to preach one time. (laughs) So he did. And the rest, as God used him, is history. We look back to what God has done in the past in rescuing his people from Egypt and bringing them into the promised land in Christ and his death and resurrection and even what God has done in the past through this church. Our God is a great and awesome God and therefore we can have a sweet inward disposition graciously submitting to our God's fatherly disposal in every condition and therefore our joy is in the Lord let's pray together our Lord God we, we do bring before you the concerns and worries of our hearts health for some family issues for others Perhaps a husband and wife in conflict. Maybe um, a student unsure what's going to happen this year at school. Uh, Maybe uh, responsibilities on the campus here, things that need to be done and fixed. Maybe mental health challenges, feelings of depression. Lord, we seek to worry about nothing but Instead, pray about everything. 
We bring it all to you. We lay it at your feet. In the midst of the years, revive your work, Lord. You are the same God who rescued your people from Egypt. You're the same God who, when Joshua prayed, Lord, make the sun stand still. I need more time to finish this work. You, you, you gave him more than 24 hours to get it done. You're the same God, Lord. Oh, in wrath, remember mercy. And revive. Revive us. That we might rejoice in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.